Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on episode 6. I'm Blair Walker. On the Pro Video Podcast, we'll provide insights and knowledge from incredible content creators around the world. Expect to hear tips and stories across all areas, including filming, editing, color grading, motion design, 3D, workflows and more, plus the tools and technologies that help us. On this episode, I'm talking with John Waters and Simon Wade. We discuss owning your own professional video business. John and Simon have both successfully transitioned from full-time staff positions to owning and operating their own businesses. Doing this for a number of years has given them both insights into the balance of lifestyle and the level of work that they want to be producing. They also cover the pitfalls of jumping too quickly into going out on your own. Alright, let's go to the interview now with John Waters and Simon Wade. On today's show, I've got John Waters from Swoon and Simon Wade from 620. How are you doing? Excellent. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. No worries. Thanks for having us. Can I ask you both to take a couple of minutes and introduce yourselves and what your background is in, in professional video? John, we've, we've had you on the show before. Do you mind if we start with Simon this time, mate? Yeah, definitely. I don't know who Simon is, actually. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, I originally um, studied at WinTech in Hamilton, did a graphic design degree there. So it was, it was very much more about design, not so much about the, the motion graphics side of things. So I had to do a lot of self-directed study, um, which was fine. I went on to my, my first job actually was at TVNZ where I met both of these two guys, the graphics department there, doing uh, promos and titles for shows and, um, you know, a few, some news graphics and things like that, um, which is good. It was a good sort of rounded introduction to the to motion graphics, I guess, and, and to TV broadcast in particular. And that's kind of... Uh, that was the that formed the basis of, of of my career, I guess, and just sort of kept going from there. I was there for about five years, and then went over to to London. Just carried on freelancing, and ended up working full time for a, like a post production company over there called um, Jump Design, doing a lot of light entertainment type stuff to begin with, and then pushed more towards sports, sports broadcast design, and things like that, which was quite good. And stayed there for about five years and then came back to New Zealand and that's when I set up my own company, 620. Uh, basically, I, I set it up with my wife. The two of us sort of do the same, roughly the same kind of thing. She's a bit more classic illustration, uh, whereas I'm more sort of visual effects and, and graphic design, I guess, motion graphics. Um, so it seemed like a pretty good base to, to, to set up our business from. Um, that was about... Seven, seven years ago now, and yeah, just since then, just been sort of you know building clients and um, doing more work, and um, that's that's where I am today. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for that, Si. Um, John, can you give the listeners a introduction to what your business is and your background, mate? I'm not going to try and make this the same as the first one. <laughs> it's going to be tricky. I've been doing post-production motion graphics for over 10 years, probably 15, around about there. I, I worked with Simon uh, back at TVNZ um, before I, I went out uh, on my own, started my own business. Um, I've, I've sort of branched off a little bit more with with shooting as well and, and offering my clients kind of an all-over package, I guess, you know, from creative all the way through to finished product. The reason I did that, I guess, was I felt that the motion design area was quite saturated and there were at the time only a few limited options of, of broadcasters so I figured that um, expanding into into being able to offer an entire package got into the web market a bit more which was growing hugely at the time so I wanted to kind of capitalize on that and um, and it's been been quite a good ride it offers quite a big variety of different different types of skills and things that you need and, and also different types of jobs opens the door to, um, I felt, a, a bigger range of, of um, different clients from quite small to to agencies and that type of thing as well. Awesome. So, yeah, that's, that's where I've been at. Thanks, man. Um, we're going to delve into our main topic in a little bit, which is going to be starting your own business, and that's obviously based around professional video being the um, name of the show. What we'll do first up, though, is just a subtopic, something that's come up this week was from the School of Motion. 
Something that I've been quite interested in since transitioning to PC is After Effects hotkeys. They're basically just saying that this is the way that you become more professional by speeding up and impressing your clients with the speed that you can do work using hotkeys. Other people might call them quick keys. The blog had three posts, which was quite good. One of them being the absolute essentials as the first post, and then the, what the pros know, and then the hidden gems. Have you guys had a look over those blog posts? Yep, yeah, I had a quick look through them and um, many familiar ones, and there was a couple that, uh, that I didn't know about as well, which is always nice. Yeah, personally quite pleased that I did know quite a few, but there was some that I hadn't known and thought better put that into my repertoire. John, you didn't see those? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking through them now. There is quite a few um, that are absolute essentials, I feel, you know, the positions, um, scale and rotation, that type of thing. Everybody should know that if they're using After Effects. Um, it definitely speeds up your ability to um, be able to work with keyframes and that type of thing very quick. Um, yeah, some of the others are a little bit more obscure, but yeah, they would be very helpful. Yeah, some of them I hadn't even thought of using but would be really useful, such as like setting the work range with the B and N key for in and out. Oh, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> we'll see how I do it as I grab the um, the layer that I'm wanting, or the layers, and then use the um, Control-Command B. And that like oh, puts, okay. sets the range to the layers that you've got selected. So that always kind of worked okay. for me. Yep. Not about that one either. <laughs> I use BNN all the time, but I didn't know yeah, about it. Yeah, BNN I, I use all the time. You know, I'm, I'm quite anal about the um, comps not being, you know, hugely long with, with only a little bit of, you know, the layer's only occupying a small amount of space. I, quite often I open other people's stuff and I find that, you know, that it's like that and it frustrates the hell out of me. So I usually... Um, Command click, yeah. Command click on the on the preview bar and trim to uh, trim comp to um, work area. Um, Once I've sort of established it, and it keeps everything neat and tidy. So when you're zooming out, you've got the whole the area that you that you're really going to work in, rather than sort of having this big long thing with a little bit at one end. This last week, a couple of weeks, I've been using the um, Shift Control X, which trims the comp. So that's a new one that I've been oh, yeah. adding too. So it's the same yeah, deal. I think I think the key thing is yeah. using these quick keys and hot keys to speed up, but also just keeping tidy just makes it so much more clearer when you're diving back into the project. Probably more in the yeah, future. Yeah, well, your I mean, uh, when it comes to tent, clean and tidy, Blair is the king. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as organisation goes, you're you're it. It doesn't get much more organised than you are. Maybe maybe um. Yeah. Aim- and retentive a couple other words <laughs> that could be useful <laughs> that. <laughs> in that sequence you get to that that point when you when you work with something for such a long time you sort of un- understand the benefit of having everything we know it should be and and labeled appropriately because it just cuts out that whole having to search through things or anything like that it's just it becomes first nature how it lives and what colour it is and, and you yeah. know, that it works yeah. as it should. My, my motto is that you should be able to come in at 9 o'clock in the morning and be completely hungover and not have to think about it and just basically autopilot through a job. So yeah, That's the way they work. That's they work in the big agencies. <laughs> yeah. The liquid lunches. <laughs> that was back in the 80s, mate. I never saw those days. Not like that anymore. So um, we'll put the links in the show notes, but definitely check out these and I think just add what you can. And, and it's really about repetition with these things. They become muscle memory once you've been doing them repeatedly. Yeah. You really have to force yourself to use them. Get get into it because it, it does speed speed up everything. You know, and Whatever app you're using, um, the more you can get hold of the um, keyboard shortcuts or quick keys, the, the faster you'll be working in it without a doubt. Yeah. Have, you, have you have you been struggling a little bit, Blair, with changing from Mac to to PC? Just the getting your fingers in the right place. It's getting way easier. It's so much easier now. Um, but again, it's like in the applications that I've been using a lot of. So I've been in After Effects and Premiere, and yesterday I had a Cinema 4D job, and it drove me nuts because I just kept hitting that Windows button and it kept popping up. <laughs> oh no! But I'd, it, I'd, I'd just change that out in the system software. <laughs> 
Yeah, but then you jump onto another one and you you know it's not set up and then it's going to be hard at that point. So mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. But that, to be honest, those Windows keys, those three keys, that was the bit that always drove me crazy on on the PC because to do a copy and paste on a Mac, it's a fairly easy reach from Command C, Command V, but when you've got to go, you've got to get your thumb, you've got to sort of turn your hand inside out to to do it on, on a PC. I guess you get used to it. Well, I did get used to it when I was working at TVNZ, but, but it was always a bit more of a stretch, you know. It didn't feel as natural. Well, you can just use your little finger for control. That's what I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. the answer. <laughs> that's what I've been doing. Some logical, log, logical explanation for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I have to say, Sly, that um, I am getting used to it every day. And the more hours I have on a Windows machine in the different applications, I'm, I'm thinking less and less about it and it's becoming more natural, which is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In the day, all the, all the um, Adobe apps, all, you know, any. Cinema 40, everything's the same once you're in there, really. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's very, very little difference. You spend much of your time, isn't it? So. Mm. It's just those render times are speeding up, which um, I'm loving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like 2017 After Effects, finally being able to just press the space bar and actually watch a video without previewing it. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's only been like 20 years <laughs> good things take good time you, boys baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so let's move on the main topic of this week's episode is starting your own business I suppose really it's changed a lot from when we all started out what the business opportunities are in the industry today there's so many different opportunities to create video content I just thought it might be quite a good idea to sort of have a little bit of a brainstorming for those who are new to the industry, what, what the potential business opportunities are for video content. Um, Sai, do you want to start with some of the ones that you might be able to pick up for us? Um, well, I think for me, probably one of the, the main ones is being able to work remotely, um, and that includes everywhere in the world. There's no, there's no barrier to working with a client in the Netherlands or UK or the States or anything from, you know, from the lower New Zealand. You know, gone are the days of having to have a digi beater deck and you know send things around, or even you don't even have to courier um, rushes on a hard drive to each other anymore. You know, it's just all upload, download. It's all in the cloud and stuff like that. So it's it's just that for me is basically what made my business or the way that I do business possible, being you know quite remote and still feeling like I'm next door to my clients basically. Well, I guess I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, I live in Walkwood, which is 40 minutes out of the city. Most of my clients know that I live here, so they don't seem to be too worried about that, you know, that aspect of it. Go back 10 years' time, um, and if you couldn't, you know, if if a producer couldn't be sitting beside you um, while you're doing an edit or or something, or even, you know, overlooking um, what font you're choosing on a piece of motion graphics, a title sequence or whatever, you know, they weren't interested in working with you. But now, you know, for a while I, I had an office in the city in, in Graylin and I just got to the point where, well, nobody's coming to this office, why am I paying for it? So I ditched it, you know. And it just, you know, as soon as we could, you know, send whips through to, to clients, then they weren't really that interested in getting in a car or a taxi and coming over to see you. They, they were more interested in, in having a look at that, getting feedback to you straight away and letting you get on with the job. What are the main types of content you're you guys are producing Simon what what are the different genres of video that you're creating um, so probably mostly TV commercials still um, for both for various networks you know, Sky and um, not so much TVNZ or TV3 anymore but um, do a lot for Sky do their um, uh, you know internal videos and things there's quite a lot of that um, work as well as you know corporate videos by clients in Europe and things like that as well, and TVCs for them as well. Sometimes I'll be doing a TVC which goes out to Portugal and uh, France and the Netherlands as well as the UK, and that's probably the most of my work is, is TVC type work. I do a little bit of online video stuff, explainer videos and, and bits and pieces like that. I'll only do pure motion graphics sort of stuff, unlike John who will, who will you know grab a camera and go and shoot some stuff. I'm, that's not really what I do. Um, I'm more more focused on the kind of yeah motion graphics, visual effects type stuff. So yeah, the, the jobs that come with that really. 
Cool. What a bloody great idea that is. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid that whole drama. <laughs> yeah. So you Both have, John, moved, you've moved into a lot more filming. Um, can you sort of talk about the different types of work that you create? Yeah. I mean, every job is quite different. Um, I've done, what have I done recently? I've done a lot of um, internal corporate stuff. Internal corporate communication is is quite a huge market now, and it's it's something that's growing quite a bit. I think a lot of corporates, especially the banks, uh, finance companies, uh, insurance companies, where they're trying to create a culture, and they want to ensure that all of the details of that culture are related to new members that are coming into the business. You know, uh, induction videos, that type of thing, where you know they're trying to. Um, ensure there's a, a quality standard throughout the entire company. It's a common user experience for their clients. So yeah, that's a growing part of the thing. And it, the budgets and the sophistication of, of graphics involved in them is quite surprising now. Other types of things I've done videos. I shot one recently for the Lee Marine Laboratory, uh, which is quite close to where I live, which is quite quite fortunate. Uh, going through some of the research that the people that are doing doctorates out there are doing, things like um, the amount of plastics that a fish is consuming from from one part of the world to another. One woman that's you know getting fish sent to her from all around the world, and she's scraping the guts out and looking under a microscope and things like that. So that type of thing, um, it's for their discovery center. It was a fifteen minute piece, so it's a lot of work in, in that. Yeah, I mean, one or two TVCs, but a lot of the work that I do now is is online. I think that's the, the definitely the growing market, and the the level of production quality is is increasing all the time. You know, the expectation, especially. I'm not sure that the budgets are. <laughs> it's just the way things go. And I think you know this is the key thing: is more and more we're being pushed to create a very high level of video production quality. The expectation is that that the budgets won't increase, but the quality and the and the production quality will. So, it's just something that we have to deal with in our in our industry. If you went back ten years and had a look at the type of video that people are producing and that the client was happy with, and you know you look at what's produced now, even on TV, you notice a ten year old TV show it looks dated because the the production values. Um, it's just the way that the industry is heading yeah totally what was the driving force from moving from being employed at a company wherever you were prior to owning your business to setting up your own business so what what drove you to do that uh, my wife <laughs> <laughs> um no seriously in a lot of ways because we came back from the the uk and um the kind of you know i guess it's a bit of a, a crossroads um you can sort of either look for a job somewhere or start your own business and go from there and try and call in some contacts and, and, and build it. And, and we kind of decided that the right time for us to do that, we felt we could work together and we had plenty to offer um, and, uh, to our clients. And we had some clients that we brought with us from overseas or we didn't bring them with us literally, but, you know, we could still <laughs> <laughs> come to New Zealand, come and live over here to go close. <laughs> we were able to sort of, you know, work with them remotely still and, and then also sort of rekindle some the client relationships that I had before before going overseas, and, and you know we didn't have kids or a mortgage or anything at that point, so it seemed like it was kind of you know the ideal time to set that up. You know, as it, as it turns out, it probably was the right time. It was it was interesting in terms of the global financial crisis. It was right in the depth of that, really. So everything was sort of pretty much on the down low, and we were we were able to be quite efficient and cheap, <laughs> I guess. If you can set up your business in that sort of a climate and run it efficiently enough to be successful, then when things get better, you're in a good position to sort of build with that as well. That was kind of the motivation, really. It was just that the timing of everything had sort of converged at that point. Yeah. That's what we did. What about you, John? What motivated you to set up your own business and what were you doing before that? I was at TVNZ. I mean, the pay wasn't great. I think that was one of the things. Um, Going back 10 years now, I'm trying to think. It's hard to imagine going back to it, that's for sure, because managing your own time, although it can be difficult at times, it is more rewarding being able to sort of go, well, today I'm just going to spend time with the kids or, you know, we'll do something else. Um, I'm not committed to going into a place of work regardless of whether I've got work to do or not. Although, you know, it, it does mean that you at times you're working when everybody else is sleeping. <laughs> 
it's definitely not easy. It's not an easy choice. It's something that people should consider very carefully. The one thing I didn't really grasp to begin with, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, even people that um, are in producer roles and that type of thing, is the difference between what is charge out and, and what you're likely to get, you know, what you're likely to pay yourself at the end of the day. You know, a lot of people look at what we, we have to charge people and they go, oh, they're on quite a, a good racket. Most of the time, it's it's no more than a plumber or an electrician would charge. I think a lot of people don't realise when they're, when they're employing somebody to do something, regardless whether it's a plumber, electrician or one of us, is, you know, when you're paying that person, you're also paying for their gear, you know, their computer, their van full of camera gear or whatever. Um, that's part of what you're paying for. And a lot of people go, well, you know, they should pay for that themselves. But realistically, any business works that way. Part of what you're paying for is the building that it's in and the, the staff that work there and all that type of thing, not just the, the actual item that you're buying. So that's something that, that people don't grasp when they go into business for themselves to begin with. Yeah, I can see that it's been a little bit of an issue with people not really accounting for full overheads. Maybe they... Yeah. Are living at home. That's a with, simple way to put it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's taking everything into account. You know, your phone, um, the petrol. The, it's it's yeah. itemizing everything, and then like, how many hours? At what rate do you need to make just to pay those off? Not even what yeah. you would give yourself as a salary. That's absolutely right. You know, I, I've done a bit of research about this recently because it's something that really interests me. Because you know, I feel that there's probably a lot of guys out there, or girls and girls, that are starting off and they really have no idea how much they should be charging. And and in New Zealand, anyway, it's the the tricky thing is, you know, in the first year you don't pay any tax, and the second year you pay you pay the tax for your first year and your second year. Um, that became quite a tricky thing and, and you'd find a lot of people that would go out freelancing, you know, they'd go and hell for leather on the first year thinking, wow, this is real good money. And then when they had to pay their tax, they'd fall over because they really had no money put aside to, to do it. And that was because they were only charging enough to really pay pay themselves a, you know, a, a wage and not, not take into account the expenses of running a business. You know, paying your accountant, um, all the other bits and pieces that are just required, insurance, for instance, you know, yeah. um, all the gear, you know, basically you buy a computer in two years' time, it's really up for replacement. Paying for software, all that type of thing has to come out of your hourly rate. Something that I'm wondering is there's lots of people that I see going out of education, whether that's a tertiary school or online and going into business for themselves which I can understand the lure of it, but I also felt like when we went into the industry, we were mentored by quite a few senior people who passed on a lot of knowledge. And I'm just wondering, if if you were to do it again and you were starting out right now, fresh-eyed and 20-something, would you jump straight into your own business and think that you'd just learn what you needed to along the way, or do you think there's still some real value in getting into a job, a position where you can gain that knowledge from someone with, as a mentor, really. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no way that I, you know, looking back, that I would have been ready to be in my own business when I just came out of, um, you know, art school. Is yeah, there's no chance. It took me probably 10, 12 years or something like that before I felt that I had gained enough knowledge, not just about, um, you know the ins and outs of, of designing cool stuff, but just about the how to deal with clients, you know, how to deal with producers, all that side of it as well that, that we were just discussing, the whole financial side of it and the business side of it. You know, these are all things that you you pick up along the way when you work within a um, within a business. You glean bits of information off, um, like you say, senior, senior people and just going to meetings with other people. You sort of see how they deal with relationships and how they deal with, with clients and things like that and that's all as valuable if not more yeah. valuable than being able to you know sit in front of a computer and make some cool shit you know it's kind of that, that's, a, that's a big part of it because that's what you you know that's what you sell yourself with but you need to have that back end as well and you know you can learn so much when you're at sort of you know in tertiary education but they don't tend to focus that much on, on that side of things in my experience anyway It'd probably be quite a helpful thing, really, a business 101, finance 101 sort of um, papers to do with as part of your um, 
tertiary education. I think. Yeah, I think we did have a bit of that in, in our degree. Um, but the the relationships thing, I think, you know, you touched on it there. I, I think that is a real critical part of it. Getting a sort of a, a working relationship with people takes maturity. You know, jumping out of a film school or or a design school and straight into your own business is it's too big a leap, really. You know, I've worked with people that straight out of film school and and most of them don't know anything. I admire people that can do it and and make make it work, but at the same time, I don't think it's it's really the right way to go about it. Um, I, I actually wonder if the whole tertiary model that we have is is relevant. I think you know I'm, I'm one of the few people that are old enough to have been through both different types of education. I did my apprenticeship years ago as a photographer, and I actually did leave my apprenticeship with enough confidence and enough skill to, to be able to do virtually anything um, because I've been working in a real industry. And, and I remember during my degree, the, the tutors referring to in the real world you know, and what they were referring to as in the industry. You know, it's one of those things that it creates a, a very fake uh, environment and and when you're working actually in the industry and learning in the industry there's no fake environment you're actually right there mm-hmm. so it gives people a, a huge head start I'd rather go back to that model rather than you know what we have at the moment there's no, there's no hurry to, to, to get in there and build your own business it's always going to be there really take it take advantage of being new at something and being ambitious and everything and be, be within a, a, a company or a, or a structure and you can safely sort of make little mistakes and things because you're going to make mistakes when you first sort of start working. Um, it's much safer to do that when you've got you know the protection of a of a, um, a company around you or you know mentors that can sort of say, look, this is maybe where you went wrong there and put you on the right path. Whereas if you're freelancing where you're by yourself or whatever, then that's a big responsibility to not make any of those kind of errors. And yeah, it's a huge safety net when you are surrounded yeah. by those that um, can. Make it right. I always say to the new guys joining my team, guys and girls, that if they give the producers enough heads up, everything can be addressed. And it's something I've seen a lot of people do is like be really nervous that there's a mistake thinking that nobody else in the world's ever made a mistake and not not saying anything and then it gets to a point where it comes out and it's like oh, it's, it's the 12th hour why didn't you say anything so it's those kind of experiences where when you do go out on your own to then um, be proactive and address things and when you were talking before Simon I just totally agreed that it is about communicating with lots of different types of personalities because it's yeah. about modifying not not pretending to be different people, but you do tailor your working relationships and who you are as a professional person differently depending on the circumstances. Totally agree with you there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the way that you talk to a producer is quite a, different to, to the way that you talk to, a, a you know, somebody that probably is more versed in technical aspects of, of doing design work. It's not dumbing it down, but it's but they have a different focus of interest and in, in what it is that they're looking at. There's so many different personality types, from real extroverts mm. to complete introverts, and it's seeing other people dealing with them and taking them on the journey or working on a project and modifying what you're doing because of how that person works. Someone might be completely. I want to say a little bit not proactive with what they are doing therein. So it's about engaging them and drawing them out. Yeah. yeah. Versus someone who else who's very assured of what it is they want and will really art direct it exactly to the nth degree. And Mm. and it's not right or wrong. That it's like completely different styles of working. It's a different relationship. um, You know, and that that relationship with the creatives is, is really it's pretty important that you get it right, you know, that you that you understand and appreciate and respect their ideas and, and how they go about things. So I'd like to sort of talk to you guys about what the biggest challenges in owning your own business, are, but also on the flip side of that, what the biggest rewards are. It's a lot of the stuff that we've discussed is, is a big challenge, the whole business side of it, because we're, we're not naturally... You know, business, business people, people yeah. as such, oh, we're more creative people, so that can be a challenge. But it's it's a nice challenge to have, you know, because it's 
it's a bit different to what you're used to, so it keeps you sort of, you know, a bit, bit interested. It's a different sort of field, so I, I quite enjoy the, you know, doing spreadsheets and stuff sometimes, <laughs> doing text returns. It's a bit of a, also, that whole sort of client-facing thing as well, you do need to know how to present yourself and how to come across as the right person for, for the job, the person that the client or the producer or whatever is expecting you to be. That's a challenge within itself, really. And just having to wear all those hats all the time can can be quite draining and quite tricky. You're the person they talk to about budget, but you're also the person that has to, you know, fight your end for for the creative as well. So, oftentimes that can be you know quite a challenge. But I think the the, the benefits are you know there's huge benefits, especially as you get you know get a bit older and you've got you know wife and kids and things like that. It was like what John was saying, you know, if you if you're not feeling it one afternoon and you haven't got a specific deadline to or whatever. Um, you can you know go out and play on the lawn with the kids or whatever. That's a that's a huge um, plus really for, for having your own business. Being able to, to structure your time um, much much better than than you would if you um, you know if you're working at a at an agency or at a you know post production company or whatever. Um, so to me, it all it balances out more in favour of uh, the positive than the than the challenge side of it. Yeah, and I think I think that's probably the biggest benefit is just having that that ability to manipulate your time and work at sort of certain times of the day that are going to work for you. You know, you might not feel it in the afternoon, but then you go back after ten o'clock at night and do a couple of hours, you know, smash it out, and that works really well. So, do you find it um, easy enough to motivate yourself to do the work? There's nothing better than than looming deadlines to get your ass into gear. Motivation, yeah, everyone needs deadlines. <laughs> Um, you've got to set yourself deadlines that's the thing yeah. um, <clears throat> sometimes sometimes it is a bit of a challenge but I think um, I, I mean I only speak for myself but I, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that I generally just love making cool stuff so I'm always motivated to just make something look that a little bit better or spend a little bit more time just to finesse it a little bit more <clears throat> even if it's just a, some you know sparkly logo or whatever then that's, that's cool because I quite enjoy the outcome and um I find that that's probably enough motivation for me, even at sort of 12, 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. So far, anyway. <laughs> it may change one day, but I, I couldn't see it. You know, I, I really just like sitting in front of After Effects and, you know, building building up the layers and making something cool. So um, that's, that's my motivation. Yeah. Excellent. John, what about you? What do you find most challenging and rewarding having your own business? Probably getting the work, I think, is is the biggest challenge. Is to you know, I think as as Sai sort of mentioned, being that right person that people will have faith in to be sure that you can do the job. Yeah, that's one of the big ones, and and also just reading clients to to try and figure out. I mean, there's a lot of tie kickers. You you always get um, you always get people ringing up just to find out what something is going to cost. I guess, you know, one of the things that, that somebody said once, if you're getting your clients on price alone, you know, by being the cheapest, then you won't keep those clients because, you know, they're always after somebody cheaper. Yeah. So they'll, you know, there's always somebody cheaper out there and, and that's for sure. Um, so, I mean, being cheap isn't, isn't the way to get work. Being good is the way to get the work. Yeah. And also being reliable, turning up when you said, you know, that you're going to turn up. Um, don't let people down. But yeah, I mean, you know, that, that as as Simon's already mentioned, wearing all the hats that is the big challenge. There's a lot of different skills. You know, if you if you're working for a production company or an agency, and you know, all you have to really do each day um, is turn up and, and be able to fire up After Effects, Premiere, or, or whatever else you're using, C4D, Maya doesn't make any difference. You just have to really focus on learning those apps and being good at them and being creative with what you're doing. You know, you don't have to worry about where the next job's coming from, um, how you're going to get paid for it, all that type of thing. So, going into your own business presents, you know, that 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 sort of becomes part of the job, but not all of the job that it was before. You know, so those other aspects of of running a business are just as challenging, if if not more challenging. How does that work out when you get a project on and it's, say, a busy project for the week and really where do you start initiating the one that you want to start the following week? Like, where's, Because it must be quite hard when you've got your blinkers on trying to get a job out to also have, have your head up high looking for the next one across the horizon. How do you approach that? Yeah, well, that's a tricky one. I haven't managed to master that one yet. 
<laughs> it does seem to flow. I don't know why. It does seem to flow. I've been lucky enough, you know, that four people haven't rung me up on a Monday wanting something by Friday because um, that's kind of make, makes it pretty difficult when you're a one-man band. Occasionally, I've brought in freelancers to do different parts of it or, or I've found bits out to friends of mine that, that do the same sort of thing, that, that work at home or, um, or, you know, basically freelance themselves. So, yeah, I mean, it is manageable. Usually, you can find some way of getting getting to those deadlines when you get overcome by it all. Sounds like you've got people contacting you. So you've got a bit of a client base there to help um, bring those repeating jobs through. Is that the case? Or are you sort of going out and um, knocking on some doors, drumming up some work too? Um, I think so. You're, you're pretty much in that situation, aren't you, where you've got, um, you've got a fairly good database of clients? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've sort of got to the point where I have a good variety of, of types of clients as well with different work and I know generally when stuff's going to come along from certain ones and then I can sort of supplement it with others throughout. I guess the, the key is building up to the point where um, you do have sort of various clients doing different types of work because that also helps with, the, as you mentioned before, they're getting various jobs at the same time. Inevitably, it's going to happen at some point where you've got you know multiple deadlines at the same time and more mm. stuff coming on board or whatever. Um, but it's the same as what John was saying. The um, you've got to have a few people that you can sort of turn to and say, look, can you do this for me for a for a couple of days or whatever? Um, and then you know you sort of put on your producer hat for a while and sort of say, yeah. mm. they just done like this and you know put some star frames together quickly or something and fire them off. And then you have to have someone that you can trust to be able to do that and, and that's another big part of running your own business is, is having having those um, those people that you can call on when you need to yeah yeah without a doubt and, you know I got stuck um, a couple of weeks back with uh, a guy that I had lined up to do B camera came very ill um, you know the night before we were due to shoot and I had to try and find somebody in a hurry and I ended up just grabbing this, this girl that I hadn't used before and um, it was quite tricky. So, you know, it is it sort of taught me a lesson that, that I do need to have more people there to, to back up, uh, you know, regardless. You can't just sort of have one or two people. You, you do need to have a bit of a, a network of, of other people that you know what their skill level is and, and what, what they're capable of producing. I'd suggest getting yeah, back so onto my uh, Facebook user group for Adobe Pro Studio <laughs> users and <laughs> putting a message please out offend, there. Please offended because I, I left. <laughs> so I back in there. Apparently I put too many messages out there. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> too many notifications. That's what it's all about. Um, yeah, I mean, the other, the other side of that is when, when you're working for yourself, um, you can always find more hours in the day. <laughs> um, you know, if you need, if you need, a, need, you need two or three extra hours, you, you, you work till sort of two or three in the morning on a, on a for a couple well, of days. Strong the coffee. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, you're going to get to a point sometimes where you do need to do that, and that's fine. You can kind of justify it because you sort of think, well, every hour that I'm working, I'm getting paid to be doing it as well. So it kind of you yeah. Know, that's one of the other things is, is to make sure that you do do that. I mean, it, uh, you know, I don't know how many jobs I've, I've done where I sort of go, ah, it just needs a little bit more. You know, I know the budget's not there, but I'll just keep going on it. And and that's what kills you in the end is that you end up giving your time away for free. You know, we all want to do good work. There's no doubt about it. But if the budget's not there, don't kill yourself to do it because it's it's not, you know, they're not going to come back on you going, oh, yeah, you know, you've done such a good job. We'll, we'll um, bump up the budget a bit. <laughs> I'm just kind of wondering though with with that it, you know it's all well and good working those extra hours when you have a client that you know is going to pay have you ever been in a position where you've had a client that just hasn't been a good client and been in a position of having to fire them has that ever happened to either of you uh, I've had three that haven't paid that I've you know that I've had to um Go to the lengths to get the money out of them. What's that? Yeah, I went to, went to court on one of them. Um, the other one paid, but not as much as they should have. Um, it is it is tricky. Um, you have to know, you have to get a feel, I guess, what the client's like and whether you trust. I mean, that's three three clients out of hundreds. So, yeah. 
you know, that isn't really bad when you think about it. And, and thousands of jobs, you know, the last 10 years have done quite a lot of work. So to have three out of that that, that um, you know, put you out of pocket, it's not really that bad a thing. And you're always going to get that with any business that you're in. But, yeah, it is tricky. And, uh, you know, you do need a good – if you're dealing with a client for the first time, you need a good understanding of what it is that you're going to do for the for the amount of money, you know, that they're – expecting to pay um do you guys write contracts i do have contracts yeah i was just going to say i i do have contracts especially i don't bother with my regular clients because i know we have an understanding of how we both work and they know my my kind of basic terms and conditions um but when it comes to new clients you don't know unless they've been recommended to you or even if they are recommended to you you know you do have to be cautious of of or at least make sure that that you strike an understanding with them exactly what your expectations are of them and and again what their expectations are of you yeah yeah i've had um, i've had written contracts probably about half of of all my my clients i'd say somewhere around there and Probably less so now because it's like you were saying. I'm, I'm working with clients that I work with a lot. The relationship is there, the understanding and whatnot, which is probably not, still not a good reason to not have a contract, to be honest. But that's just sort of, you know, that's just the way it is. I guess it's more about the trust in the relationship. You sort of know that uh, things will work out. <laughs> so I'm saying this, and it does not sound right at all. <laughs> Just put your faith out there. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. I'm getting a good I mean, vibe off this guy. <laughs> yeah. My my general rule is with big companies, I don't bother so much because um, when you're dealing with somebody who is a part of a big company and not the owner or you know or or the person that's at the bottom of the rung or anything, you're dealing with somebody that deals with people like you all the time. Um, like with the, the banks and that type of thing, I don't really usually bother because um, they tend to run their business in an ethical kind of way. But yeah, where you go along to a client meeting and you leave that thinking, gee, I don't really know about this person, then be cautious all the way through because you know until that person's kind of uh, appears to you to, to be a person that you can trust, um, you don't quite know which direction things are going to go yeah you can always ask for um you know some some money up front maybe 10 percent or 50 percent sometimes or whatever and just sort of you can get that yeah. after after the first couple of whips or something you know that's i've done that a few times before and you, you know when you're talking video productions you do tend to do that and, and um and even you know some of the agencies do that as well um and without that down payment nothing gets done you know the the nothing sort of gets started until until that first payment is, is there and it's usually something like a third before you know commencement of principal photography and then another third um, on the first whip and then you know the third on completion of, of the work or you know 20 days after whatever 20 days after but um, most of my big clients banks and things like that they won't pay till, till the, the following 20th of the month anyway so money up front is pretty much out of the question with those sort of clients <laughs> maybe they dealt with some people that they work with but um, when it comes to productions where you're employing freelancers um, talent especially the talent expect to be paid the very next week um, so unless you've got a down payment it can get pretty tricky on your on your bank balance what are your hopes for where your company and what you're doing? Where do you see the company being in a, in a year or even a few years? It's interesting, actually. I read an article recently. I think it was on Motionographer, maybe, um, about this this kind of this topic, actually, um, and about motionographers as we get older. You know, you don't see many um, aging motion, motion designers. No. Yeah, exactly. And you sort of think, well, is it because, you know, the industry's still quite young anyway, you know, it's computer but computer graphics have been around for a while, I guess. I think it is quite young though, Si. You know, like when we were doing our our degree, there wasn't essentially a recognized industry of motion graphics. It wasn't even called that, it was computer graphic design. No. Yeah. It's only they, been they, the last they, five years well, that they, the term, term has really cemented. Our after effects classes were called type in motion. Yeah. Um and I mean that's 
probably a nice way of saying motion graphics, but the term motion graphics wasn't sort of bandied around too much. There was, you know, there were web designers and there were um, packaging designers and there were flat graphic designers, but um, nobody referred to motion graphics designers, and that's not that long ago. Yeah, yeah so I guess there's, um, there's that kind of that's kind of side of it, but I, I kind of I'm I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing right now. Um, as long as I'm still, uh, you know, feeling creatively um, involved and I'm still, you know, extending myself as an artist, I'm quite happy to, to, to keep doing what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. I mean, I guess the natural tendency perhaps is to sort of think maybe one day you'll employ a few people and have a, a, a um, post-production house yourself and your creative director and all that sort of thing. But I... I don't know if I'd be any happier doing that than what I'm doing what I'm right now. Um, mostly because I have that. It goes back to that sort of that lifestyle, you know, work-life balance thing again, and being able to spend time with the family and that. And as you get more involved in a, a post-production sort of you know facility and a career, as a creative director, you're, you've got a lot more sort of responsibilities, and it's going to end up sort of. You know, having to go to work and <laughs> and be there for certain hours and all that sort of thing again. Yeah, well, um, it's also too much responsibility. Yeah. You, well, <laughs> you've got to be quite... careful because you you've created a lifestyle that works, and you might initially go into building a business bigger and think, oh, we're going to get more money. But then you take into account the extra overheads, the extra staff, managing those staff, the stress of it being, you know, your roles actually changing instead of actually doing what you're passionate about. You're now producing and running a company and yeah. maybe not even for that much more than if you'd stuck at what you were doing and loving. Certainly not as as, as much of a, of a balance in your life either. Um, yeah. I think they use the, the, um, the kind of the term aiming for the top of the wrong mountain and you sort <laughs> yeah. of, you yeah, kind of think that if I reach the top of that mountain, that's, you know, I'm the creative director, I'm, I'm you know, the in, in charge of my my world or whatever, but you, you, you're actually less in charge of your world than you mm-hmm. are now. You may not be making as much as you would then, but it pays in other ways. And going back to your original question, where do I sort of see my business in, in a year's time or in you know, five years' time? Hopefully, I see it in, uh, you know, in the same way that it is now, possibly with a few more clients and some, some um, you know, different types of jobs that I've done you know, under my belt, but Essentially, I'd, I'd like to see myself sitting in front of After Effects making cool stuff <laughs> um, and, and not being weighed down by, you know, sort of the need to, to work on big um, accounts or anything or win awards or anything like that, you know, because I'm not so much driven by that. Yeah. I mean, things are like when they come along, they're nice to have for sure um, and they should be celebrated, but that's not really sort of what, what drives me and what I use as a gauge of success, I don't think. So if I can be as content and still be excited about my work then that will be where i'd like to be hopefully that's awesome how about you john where are you seeing the business going um my big passion i guess is um creating content you know and that's one thing that that i'm i'm trying to kind of get things going this year I quite like working with other people on larger projects. That's something that that I I see sort of happening in in the next few years. You know, it's not so much a motion graphics thing, but but more of a a kind of a New Zealand cultural thing, you know, where we were looking at different aspects of the New Zealand culture. I'm trying to find a way that I can use my skills in a way at the end of, you know, in in 10 years time, I can look back and go, well, actually, that was a really worthwhile project that accomplished something rather than just sort of making things look pretty. I guess that's where we are veered, um, not away from motion graphics, but looking for ways that I can use my motion graphics skills to enhance um, full video content rather than purely what I was doing for a long time when I, I first started my business doing doing Sky Promo graphics and that type of thing, where it was, it was very much about how can we make this information more appealing and look better and, and get in front of people's faces and communicate it better? Definitely a, a very challenging thing to do, but at the end of the day, those TV promos, they're not part of a portfolio where I go, that actually did some, you know, made a bit of a cultural dent in some way. You know, New Zealand culture is something that, that's growing all the time. For a long time, we've looked outside of the country for our inspiration 
and I think it would be nice if um, if we fostered a generation of, of people who started to appreciate what we've got here a lot more. And now it's time for the pro video packs. So the first one up, Si, is um, who do you follow online and where can we find them? Uh, well, Motionography is a good one. Um, there's always lots of cool content on there and good articles and things. Um, so I, I tend to sort of hang out there a little bit. Um, but for looking at pretty pictures and things, I quite like Psyop, um, the um, post-production company. Yep. And they do lots of, lots of cool stuff, basically. They sure do. Have you got a quick tip that you might be able to share for everyone? Make use of presets. <laughs> and, um, and everything eh? for, for render presets output um, media encoder anything like that, that you can you can streamline that that's a bit it's not very glamorous but that makes a huge difference there yeah it really does I've, um, the good thing about media encoder is setting up there it becomes available in premiere but um, not so much in after effects you have to set up those ones separately but yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't understand that. I, I would have thought, although I guess you can the, send the principle to a, is yeah, from yeah. There. I was going to say the principle is you just send everything to to Media Encoder and let because really there's no other way to sort of background render and, and After Effects that's going to occupy your your um, application time too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know being a Final Cut Pro user, I I do the same with with. Um, you know, compressor and, and setting up the, the different, um, you know, basically I've got a set in compressor and a, and a set in media encoder as well that are identical, <laughs> that have the same name. So I know exactly what I'm spilling to what, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and again, those are available in Final Cut to, to just select directly and, and um, ping things straight out, of, out. So, yeah, the presets are, are definitely a goer. Yeah. Um, on the Final Cut Pro side for, for saving time, I found custom transitions um, made in motion can can really liven up a video. So uh, I tend to use those quite a lot to save a bit of time. You don't have to go out of the program to, to use them, which is quite a nice way of doing it. So even if you want to create something that's quite unique, you know, knock it up in motion, save it through to, to Final Cut and then then drop your footage into that transition. It, it just makes it so much quicker. I um, totally forgot to share my own um, follow for this week. So I'm going to shout out 36 Days of Type on Instagram, which when this show comes out, it would have probably wow. finished because um, <laughs> we're, we're preloading the show. So there's lots of great content when we launch in a month from now. But um, 36 Days of Type on Instagram, it's really been going off. I think it's up to I at the moment. And there's some beautiful execution. So every day is a new letter of the alphabet and people are just um, hashtagging 36 Days of Type. Have either of you guys um, seen any of this? Yeah, yeah. Amazing stuff. Incredible. Yeah, I've been following that. Um, Should I have to look it up? Yeah, do a search. Um, yeah, amazing stuff. I mean, it, it, those are the sort of things that are quite inspirational because it, it just shows you the usage of fonts and the treatment and that type of thing. And also my quick tip for creative content would have to be send it to the cloud. <laughs> so I, oh, for rendering. Yeah, I'm just such a big believer in making sure that you've got budget to send projects to the cloud and free up your machine so that you can use it. I'm looking forward to more GPU farms coming out, but for Cinema 4D, um, something that used to be a huge pain in our workflow because we couldn't build a massive render farm ourselves, but now having budget for the jobs to be able to send it up to the cloud, no matter what that is, and get back files, you know, that might have taken four hours. That you're getting them back in four minutes. It's it's ridiculously fast mm-hmm. and just makes sense. So that yeah, should save doubt. time. I mean, uh, you know, when you come to rendering and, and C4D, um, when it, when everything went from SD to HD, the, the render times with anything um, motion blur or you know, once you start bumping up the quality of things, the times for the finished render became just so crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely step to the cloud. Cool. Um, okay. A, oh, sorry, mate. What's that? I've got to follow. Um, hashtag post don't stop. That's worth checking out on Twitter. So have a look. 
Sai, do you have an um, inspirational video, mate? Um, one that inspired me when I first started working at TVNZ, actually, it was um, by a car called MK12. Um, it's called Man of Action. And it's kind of a um, – it's a comedy thing, kind of kind of a uh, sketchbooky kind of comic – you know, comic book kind of thing, and um, about a you know a false character, and it's just all very, very glam and very glossy and, and tongue in cheek, um, but hilarious and well scripted and you know well executed in terms of a, a of a, a motion graphics piece as well, and that that'll always stick with me as one of the first things that I discovered um, when I was specifically looking for motion graphics. Yeah, have they? just recently released a new version of that too I'm pretty yeah, sure they have yeah. I, yeah I was looking it up just the other day actually and um, it's a quite a long form actually it's like yeah. the top like that uh, I haven't watched it all yet but, um, but yeah you're right they've, um, they've done a redux and that's uh, brought it into the modern day I think <laughs> I've got a um, I've got a watch list on my Feedly and that's sitting there but um, I've found that my watch list is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I have no free time to watch anything <laughs> so and, welcome to love. yeah and with this podcast I'm spending my free time in, in the weekends when my wife's gone to work <laughs> editing editing it <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's cool I'm enjoying hearing our conversations twice so um, I'm going to share my one and then go to you, John, and see if you've got one. This one is um, sure, Experiments yeah. 2016. It's from Frita Rita, and it's a Vimeo link. Basically, motion design experiments, and I, you get a glimpse into this person's brain, and it's a little bit bizarre and weird. And So it's a really nice way that they've brought lots of different experiments that they've been doing for motion into a cohesive project. So I'll share that one online because um, as much as I try to describe it, it's just too trippy to put into words. <laughs> so, John, do you have a video to share with the audience? Yeah, um, I think, you know, inspired by um, Simon's retro um, pick, I was driving to my shoot yesterday and, and um, listening to BFN and they put on Phoenix Foundation Hitchcock and it, it brought me back to a, a music vid that we were all quite inspired by at the time for for that particular song. Yeah, um, R- Ruben Sutherland, I think it was that um, that created the whole thing in After Effects, and it's very three D looking, um, except for when you know it's, it's sort of um, those that haven't seen it. It's kind of like a theme park kind of feel to it. It's very kind of dark and macabre. And it has this car that looks like a larder or something racing around um, just in crazy going over jumps and through hoops and, and you know, round roundabouts and, and just tearing up the place. And occasionally, you know, you, you get the wheels on a bit of an angle. You can see right through them. <laughs> yeah. Really cool dynamics, the way, the way that, you know, oh. the attention of the car and everything. I remember that one as well. I'm still in awe of that video, just um, how much talent it takes to make something flow that well and, and how ridiculously complex it would have been. Yeah, it's just a testament to well-executed work. Um, stands the test of time, really, eh? It is, yeah, without a doubt. So moving on to pick of the week, have you got a pick of the week that you could share with us, Sai? Probably just using scripts within After Effects, and there's a couple of key ones that I use all the time. Um, one called Magnum Edit Detector, which basically you chuck in a, a quick time and edit, you know, just a single single layer, hit the go button, and it um, detects the uh, edit points and chops it into layers for you. Yeah, I I use that all the time. Eh? It's a lifesaver. What do you use it. that for? I I used to use it, but I don't get many um, clips that I have to cut it up for. What are you finding you need it for? Um, when I'm doing promos, um, a lot of a lot of the time I'll get the just a um, like a ProRes QuickTime file from the from the editor. Yeah, um, and then I'll just chop it up like that and, nice. and make my way from there. So I use that for that a yeah. lot. Cool. That cool. would save a lot of time actually for promos because generally you, you tend to get an edited um, promo, you know, that's already already sort of stuck together. Yeah. yeah exactly. And I don't. I generally don't want them to send over like a whole, um, you know, collected project because I don't need the tails of each shot. You know, they've done their job. It's edited, so I'll just um, chop it up and, and go from there. Great pick. 
John, do you have a pick of the week for us? Yeah, my pick is a Final Cut pick. Um, it's um, Add Motion, which is a, a sort of a, a plugin for Final Cut that allows you to animate pretty much anything, text um, and any any type of graphics. So you can basically bring through a whole pile of graphics into Final Cut and, and uh, animate them all there. It's pretty good for the sort of pop-up videos, you know, where where everything sort of just pops up on, on screen and, and fast transitions from one thing to another. Um, it can save a lot of time, renders really quickly. Um, and it has things like um, color trails and um, motion blur, um, sort of different different amounts of motion blur type motion blur or, or long trails and that type of thing as presets. Um, the way that the interface, the, the way that it works on screen is quite nice, you know, quite um, quite intuitive, and it has a lot of flexibility. Nice, man. That's really cool. My pick is um, moving to the Windows machine from Mac. Um, probably the biggest thought I had was the codecs that we were going to use, and there are some really good codecs available, but we've still got a lot of Mac machines in our um, agency, and some of our um, content directors are on Mac, and I we could have gone with Cineform. Um, they got some really nice, or go with Denix HD. But I, ProRes is not offered natively on a Windows. But a new product called Windows ProRes happened to come out as we were making the transition. So upon finding it, um, there was a there was a discount for purchases before 31st of March. So um, by the time this show airs, that will finish. So it was $179 <laughs> with that discount. Um, I'm not sure what the cost will be after. And I snapped up licenses. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's 180 but it's just, it's a hun- it's the workflow, you know, and it's US, but it's yeah. it really holds up. And we've sent it through... Um, Adstream, who we send all of our broadcast deliverables through, and they did Q, QA on it, and it, and it was really, really excellent. A little bit of an issue with the um, 4444 Alpha, um, little bit of tearing happening, but to be honest, I'm, when we're using Alpha Channel, I'm happy enough to just use animation for the Windows machines. I'm just wanting to keep our master outputs all consistent. And for, for the last 11 years or 10 years since since ProRes came out it has been ProRes so to be able to stick with that for now because um, you do have to install um, QuickTime Player which is basically quite old now and unsupported so who knows how long that will stick around but it offered a little bit of a softer transition from being on a Mac platform to Windows and for now it's really working a treat so yeah that's windowsprores.com check it out Okay. So, uh, oh, sorry. Just, yeah. Just a question on that, um, Blair. So, y- there's no other um, player, no other third-party player that will work with it. It's only only the QuickTime player, as well as as the plugin that you put in. Like, it's not a not a standalone as such. You know what I mean? No, it's just, it's a it's basically um, you're installing it so that you can access it from Premiere, After Effects, oh, and Media Encoder. So it's yeah. it's giving yeah. the, your Windows machine the codec accessibility. So just like you would yeah. set up a QuickTime and normally just do a ProRes, now you set up mm. a QuickTime and you've got Windows ProRes and all the different flavors. Because yeah. there have been That's some it. others who have um, made ProRes available, but they haven't been as... Um, yeah, there's been some issues with them. So this one is definitely um, standing out as being the best. I think even um, Pro Video Coalition did a review on it and really went to town and they, they gave it a favorable review. So I'll stick a, a link into that mm. as well. That's the end of our show. Thank you so much, Sai and John, for joining us. I was just hoping, Sai, that you could let everyone know where they can find you online, mate. Uh, yep, just, I've got my website www.620.com it's number 6 in the word 20.com awesome John how about you where can we find you online mate um, I'm mainly mainly on Twitter um, swoon underscore John um, 
yeah, that's probably where I spend most of my time when I'm online. <laughs> or, or the um, Adobe Pro user group. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice plug, mate. Nice plug. <laughs> Subtle. Didn't even hear it hit the ground. <laughs> or the Final Cut Pro um, uh, Facebook user group as well, Final Cut Pro editors. Yeah, that is a wonderful group. That's the Adobe Pro Video oh. User Group New Zealand and Australia. Um, you can f- find me at Blair Walker on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Give that a search. Thank you all for joining us and listening this week. It's been an absolute pleasure to have two old friends. Not old, just you know mature <laughs> it's been really nice to have you guys on so thank you again Cy and John really appreciate it pleasure yeah. to be here I hope that you've enjoyed the show please take a moment to go to iTunes leave a comment leave a review and rate the show it helps so much for others to be able to find the show as well if you could do that I'd be really grateful I'd like to say thank you to worldpodcast.com for proudly presenting this episode and recommend that you check out their website for all the other great shows that they have. I personally have really enjoyed the latest episodes of Stupid Questions for Scientists. I found it a hilarious discussion between scientists and comedians. Another great show, the Social Media Strategy Podcast. Social media is such an important part of day-to-day business. Really recommend you checking out that show as well. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye.